we are looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, incredible book of the Bible that asks some very tough, honest questions. And we've actually been trying to figure out what song best summarizes the text we're about ready to look to. So, uh, so there you go. You guys ready? Money, money, money. And uh, um, originally done by the OJs. Uh, I, I bet you probably already have the album. The whole album's great. Um, but anyway, uh, Donald Trump and The Apprentice kind of made it famous as well. Um, and singing that song. But what did the Beatles think about money? Uh, the Beatles sang a little song about money as well. They said that money can't buy me love. Uh, we're not going to sing it, but money can't buy me love. It's interesting. Uh, the Beatles, uh, the most successful rock band of all time, uh, they said something very interesting and very true. Of all the things, of all the fame, of all the power, there was something that money couldn't do. And that was, listen, that was satisfy your and my greatest longing. What money can't do is, is to fill the void that's inside our hearts. What money can't do, it really can't fix what's broken inside or, or ultimately what's broken outside. Kind of summarizing that, it's one of my favorite actors, uh, the comedian actor Jim Carrey. Is that guy not hilarious or what? So Jim Carrey said this. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous And do everything they've ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Huh. Basically saying, hey, I wish everybody could do what I've done, Jim Carrey would say. Become rich. Become famous. Do everything that you can imagine doing. Everything that your hearts desire. All to realize, you know what? It's not this. So we want to ask the question. What has the power? What has the power to, to meet all of our longings? What, what has the power to, to fix our broken hearts, to fix our broken lives, to fix our broken world? And what has the power to, to fill up the emptiness? Man, the emptiness, it's still here, still out there. What's got the power to give us the answers? The answers for some tough things like, what do we do with Ferguson, Missouri? I immediately say that, I guarantee you, most of us bristled, like, oh, man, that's a tough one. We had a gospel coalition conference here in Orlando, and like 6,000 pastors came, and one of the biggest heated debates was on, what do we do with Ferguson, Missouri? I mean, it's just so racially divides us, and how do we, how do we find justice? And just a few years ago, you remember, we want to ask the same question, what do we do in Sanford, Florida, for goodness sakes, right? I mean, how do we fix everything that's broken? How do we... <laughs> Who's got the plan? Who's got the power? How do we fix the Middle East? And you know what's going on with Africa? I mean, how does that, what they call dark continent, have the light of Christ? What's, what's going to fix that? But I bet for most of you, you probably somewhere in your life and your thoughts thinking, yeah, what's going to fix it? But you probably are asking, what's going to fix my family room? And what's, what's going to fix me? What, what's going to have the power to to really bring me life. Well, we've been journeying together. We've been looking at this incredible book in the Bible. Again, it's, it's so authentic. It's so real. You're going to love that it's here. And it looks at life. The, the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to look at life underneath the sun. And it basically means this. He's going to look at life. What is life like without God? Uh, where is our hope? And, and, and where can we fix what is broken? And where can we fill what is, what is void? And he looks at life all underneath the sun, and, and it's written by what we think is, is Solomon, or whoever wrote it wants us to, 
to hear Solomon's voice, the, the richest of any man who ever lived, the one who had all the money, 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 wine, women, and song, the one who was the wealthiest who, who ever lived, uh, not just wealthiest, but the wisest, I should say, an incredible man. And he comes to some interesting conclusions. As he looks at life down every van, venue, uh, all that is offered underneath the sun, he says this, man, it's like, it's like vanity. It's meaningless. It's, it's a vapor. He says, of all the toil that we do underneath the sun, well, apart from God, that there's, there's nothing gained. There's no take-home pay. That, that life apart from God, all that you do just leaves you empty. He says there's nothing new. It's like daggum groundhog day over and over and over again. There's nothing remembered. So it's a pretty honest look. But in the midst of that, listen, in the midst of him struggling to try to figure out how to fix what's broken and how to fill what's empty, there's a light that shines. In the Bible, there always is. And that light that shines, we're going to see is the light of God. It's, it's the light of Christ. And as we see that light shining, we're going to see that there's hope. There's hope in Christ Jesus. So again this morning, will you turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Ecclesiastes 5? And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in verse 8. Uh, the section of Scripture before us this morning is a little bit longer. Uh, we're going to read 5, 8 through 6, 9. So I'm going to ask you to really lean in, uh, to really let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But let's be mindful of this. Uh, whoever wrote this, whether it was Solomon or, or someone who wanted us to hear Solomon's voice, uh, and although it was written a long time ago, and even although it was written in a genre uh, of uh, wisdom literature, the bottom line is this. This is God's holy word. That God himself has breathed his being into this word. So it's living and active. And, and the point for you is this. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what God caused to have you sit right there, no matter if you sit there all the time or that's your first time, God wants to speak to you. And he doesn't want to speak to you in a way that just entertains you. God wants you to sit under his word, the authority of his word, to transform you, to give you life, uh, to give you hope, and to point us to Jesus. So let's read this passage. I'll read aloud. You read along silently with me. Again, we're going to hear God's word in 5, 8 through 6, 9. God's word. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and they are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. We'll unpack that in a moment. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This, this is also vanity. It's a striving after the wind. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he has eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those rich were lost, those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And as he came from his mother's womb, 
he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And, and what gain is there for him, uh, to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and in much vexation and, and sickness and anger. But behold, watch this turn. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil that which one toils under the sun the few days of life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he does, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is meaningless. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness his name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or anything, known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man uh, have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better in the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Let us pray. Father God, what an incredible passage you have for us this morning. And one thing is abundantly clear is that you and you alone need to be the one who, who teaches us and explains to us this passage. Lord, it's also clear that each and every one of us needs to understand this. Because in this word before us, this living word of God, there is great hope and great life and great truth. But there's also great peril. So God, we would ask you to do that which only you could do and be pleased to do, that you would come and that you would be pleased to, to speak through a broken sinner like me. That God, your Holy Spirit would be with us in a way that you would give us ears to hear your voice, the true and living God. That, that you would give us minds to understand your word illuminated by the Holy Spirit, that to God, you would so love us and be real to us that each one of our hearts would be filled with your love and your truth and your knowledge. And that God, that you would be with us 
in such a tangible way and in such a powerful way in the name of Jesus is that when we walk out of here, we'll be able to walk out of here in a manner worthy of the gospel in the name of Jesus. Father God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away quickly and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those very things to, to make us like your beloved son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline for you if you'd like to follow along with me as we unpack this incredible passage of Scripture together. And the first thing we're going to see is this, is the, the perversion of justice under the sun. The perversion of justice, it's going to talk about the, the poor are oppressed and there's no one that seems to, to rescue them and, and justice seems to be lost and, and righteousness seems to be lost. But did you see what the writer asked us to focus on with that? Really kind of interesting. He unpacks this and he says this, don't be amazed. Don't be amazed at what you see. Don't be amazed that we live in a world that oppresses the poor. Don't be amazed that we live in a place that there's a violation of justice and righteousness. Don't be amazed when you flip on your TV and the news comes on and you hear a story of amazing brokenness. Don't be amazed when you flip open your iPad and, and you're looking to see world events and you see, oh my goodness, we live in a broken world. It's interesting. The first thing he calls us to isn't to fix it. It isn't even to do anything about it. Although he does and he will. He just wants us to observe it. He wants to say, don't be amazed because he's basically saying, don't be amazed because everything in this world is broken. Don't be amazed that every system of this world is broken and incomplete. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter if it's a democracy. It doesn't matter if it's something socialistic, communistic. doesn't matter, although some are better than others. The entire world is broken. And all of the world's systems are incomplete. And there's a problem. You know, Scripture tells us how everything got broken. Scripture tells us of a God who is and this mighty, incredible God who speaks and all of creation comes into existence. This God that we can know and love that even right now holds the universe in his hands. Incredible God. And he created everything good. And he created everything for his glory. And he created us to know and love him. He created us for paradise. But something went really wrong. As we sinned, we rebelled. And God warned us. He's a good father. He says, listen, if you don't listen to me, if you don't love me, if you don't follow me, death will come. A curse will come. And everything will be broken. And he kept his word, and it's true. You see, we fell, we rebelled, and, and what happened? We live in a cursed world. We, we live in a broken world. Under the sun, it says, without God, there's no hope. It's interesting how he unpacks this. He says, he talks about these officials. Did you hear that? It says officials above another official who's watching over another official. Uh, but he's basically saying this, although that there may be some chain of command and although you try to find justice by going up the ladder, he's basically saying you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. The, the higher up you go, you know what you're going to find there? Sinners like you. 
the higher up you go and the more you think that a court system should be pure or, or a, a government should be right, you know you're going to find? Sinners like you. Sinners like me. Broken people. Corruption. And it's interesting. It talks about like they're over each other. It's actually the, the Hebrew there. It's a little bit hard to translate. It says it watches out for one another. It says this, it's incredible. It says the world systems, those who have power, those who have authority, they're looking out for each other. They're kind of covering each other. And so you long for justice and you try to go find it. And you realize, oh man, I came up empty. I'm striving after the wind because they're all in cahoots. The way that this is wonderfully summarized in the book of Ecclesiastes is early on, if you remember, if you want to turn back to chapter one, verse 15, It says this about the world. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. What is crooked about the world? Everything. And it's basically saying power in our crooked world is corrupt. It only looks out for itself. It only looks out for its own gain. And under the sun, here's the point, under the sun, there is nothing that could fix what is broken in our world and in your life. Okay, there's some good news, right? Let <laughs> me get this right, Jeff. You're telling me that Scripture says everything's broken and it can't be fixed by worldly power. The system is so corrupt, so bad, it cannot be fixed. If that's the truth, what has to happen? If a system cannot be fixed, it must be replaced. It's kind of like your car. You get in an accident, right? What's the, what's the, what's the question you have when you're in a decent-sized accident? Is it totaled? Is it totaled? Are they going to basically say, you cannot fix this car to get it in the right working order. Therefore, we declare it's total. So you will be somewhat compensated for a new car. Well, basically, the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to say that the reality is, is our world is totaled. Sin has affected absolutely everything, and there's no earthly power to fix it. But there's hope. Did you see the light that was shining? Did you see it? I mean, it was right there. It said something unusual about a king. In the midst of this line of command that you can't get any justice, it says, but there's gain with a king who will cultivate fields. You think, hmm, a king who will come. A king who has come who will establish justice and righteousness. This verse points us, although it's a dim light, it points us in the direction of a king who will come, who will set the oppressed free. A king who will come, who will love the poor. Sound familiar? We see the beauty of this story of God as it unfolds. We, we start to hear the words of Isaiah. We start to understand his prophecy, what, what he told us it would come. This may take you back to Christmas. Uh, We're going to look at some verses that will remind you of that in chapter 7, it says of this prophecy that a child will be born and born of a virgin. But then we get to to chapter 9, and in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, tell us that that God himself is going to give us a son, that God himself is going to give us a king, and this king's going to make everything right. As I read this, you might start singing Handel. You might start singing the Messiah. If you want to stand up, you're welcome to. But it says this in in verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government, basically the reign and rule, the kingdom shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. 
meaning that he knows all things. He doesn't need a cabinet to tell him what to do. He doesn't need balanced power. He's the wonderful counselor, but it's more than that. He's the mighty God. He's the God who can conquer your greatest and my greatest enemies, even death itself. He's the everlasting father. He's eternal. He always was, yet he's going to be born, yet he always was. And he's so lovingly, so fatherly that he calls us his own. And he's the prince of peace. Everything that's broken in your life, everything that's broken in your world, he's going to triumph over. And it says, of the increase of his government and the peace, there'll be no end. And on the throne of David, we see this connection to this king, the Messiah was to come, and over his kingdom to establish it. And listen how he upholds it. He upholds it with justice and righteousness. The world can't provide it, but a son who is going to come is going to do it from time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Wow, what a promise. What a promise of a king. Let's fast forward to Jesus. Jesus arrives and he arrives on the scene, and in Luke 4, it tells us a story that Jesus is about ready to uh, preach his first sermon in his, his home church, his home synagogue. And incredible things have happened. I mean, Jesus' life at this point, he's about ready to launch into public ministry, and we know, we know what happened in Bethlehem and Mary and that incredible birth and the shepherds. It was incredible. And, and we know that uh, at 12, he went to the temple, and we know that what an incredible good boy he was. But you've got to know this about Jesus. He was all boy. He was all boy, just like, like us, fully man. And then when it becomes time for him to launch into his public ministry, he goes out into the desert and his, his cousin John the Baptist is baptizing people. He says, man, we got to do this too for me, just so all righteousness is complete. But when he was baptized, something incredible happened. I mean, heaven opened up. Heaven opened up. And there we see the triune God so vividly, beautifully pictured. You have the voice from heaven coming down on Jesus as, as the Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon him to empower him for the ministry he's about to intake, to empower him for the kingdom that he's bringing, the kingdom of God. And you have this beautiful passage where, where the father said, that's my beloved boy and I'm just crazy about him. And so now that he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit, now that he's been drawn into the wilderness and be tempted and, and stood up and succeeded for us, now he's about ready to launch his public ministry. He does it in his home synagogue. It's pretty cool. And there's a time in the synagogue where there's a reading of the law, there's a reading of the prophets, and, and Jesus stands up and he, he takes the scroll of Isaiah and he, he unrolls it and toward the end and it, it says that I've been anointed by the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he, he has sent me to proclaim good news to the poor who are oppressed. We saw that, right? He, he came for me to establish justice and righteousness and mercy. He came for me to everyone who was broken to set free. Everything that is broken to, to make new. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he rolled up the scroll and handed it to the attendant. He says, now, by the way, <clears throat> hometown folks, today, Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They're like, Dude, man, you're the carpenter's son. What? What? Yeah, he was saying this. Listen, the hope that we see in Ecclesiastes 5 of a king that will come, that will make all things right, the hope that we have in Isaiah 9 that, that God will send forth his son, we see that it's fulfilled in Jesus. And now we have the privilege as his people. Listen, we have the privilege of acknowledging the reality that, yes, 
Jesus is the King of Kings. Yes, Jesus is the Lord of Lords. And you know when he preached that sermon, he said this, good news, because today a new kingdom has arrived. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Today there's a new sheriff in town, and I'm it, Jesus said. And we as his people have this incredible joy and incredible privilege to be able to say, and he is. Jesus is king of kings. Jesus is Lord of lords. Jesus is the reigning, ruling God of the universe. And now we as his church, we have the privilege of of living our lives with his kingdom values, acknowledging that he is our king, living a life that he's told us to live, to pray that his kingdom would come, to pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because the only hope for our broken world is the kingdom of God that Jesus brought in himself in Christ Jesus. That's the hope. And now he says, here's how I want you to live your life. It's interesting, let's go back to Micah, even before he came, the prophet Micah, who will, who will tell us, what does God require of you? Don't you love those verses that God's really clear it says, no, let me tell you what I require of you. I mean, listen up. This is it. It's very clear. There's no, like, interpretation here. He has told you, O man and woman, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Listen to this. But to do justice and to love kindness and mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's basically saying, that we now have the privilege of living for King Jesus and, and pursuing his justice and his righteousness and even walking with him in our daily life. That's what we have the privilege of doing. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, don't be amazed that the world's all messed up. Don't be amazed that their systems don't work. Don't be amazed that, that no matter who you vote into office, no matter what power comes, it ain't going to happen until the kingdom of God comes. And now we have the privilege of living for him. Let me just say one more time. As a Christian, if you're you're a believer in Christ, our hope is not in who's next in the White House. Although that's important and we should pray about that and and do the due diligence that we have as Americans. What a a great privilege. But we know that it's, our hope isn't in who's in the Supreme Court. Our, our hope ultimately is who's in the White House. Our hope isn't who's in the world power. Our hope is in Jesus. I mean, our hope is that the rule and reign of Christ would be made visible everywhere it's not. That's why he says, pray thy kingdom come. Pray thy will be done. The only way to fix what's broken is the kingdom of God. The second thing we see is the poverty of wealth under the sun. Wealth and money will never make you happy. I, I recently called into a, a radio show. I was on my way uh, one morning, making my way into Winter Park where I swim. And, I, you know, I don't know about you. I have a hard time finding songs in the morning and trying to find uh, just the joy of listening to a good song. And I got on 105.9 to listen to Rick Stacy. He, he's pretty entertaining sometimes. Um, and he, he really set me up. He, he said a little story, and then he said this. He says, you know, a lot of people say uh, that, that money is the root of all evil. The money is the root of all evil. And I'm telling you, that's not even in the Bible. Now, let's hit pause right there. Now, no, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't give yourself away. Let me ask you the question. Is money is the root of all evil in the Bible or not? Okay, don't answer that, all right? Because you might be wrong. Just telling you. So I knew the answer. And I, and I knew that he was kind of going an interesting way because it doesn't say in the Bible that money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say it. 
It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So I called him up. You know, I, I'm, I'm like driving down the road trying to figure out his number, calling him up, and he answered the phone. And now I'm like, I'm going to be on the air, man. I'm going to be famous. Woo! be great. I say, hey, you said that that's not in the Bible, but, and he beat me to the punch because I, I mean, I was, I was welling up in all my pharisaical pride. I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to set him right with all my self-righteousness and just let him know that's the love of money. He said, no, it's just the love of money. I said, yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> First Timothy 6.10. But the reality of what God's word is saying is this, is that the love of money uh, and the love of wealth, it will never satisfy you. Here's the point. You were made for so much more. The writer of Ecclesiastes says it this way. Just like we have heard that everything that is crooked and broken can't be fixed in this world. They don't have the power to do it. It also says this. Listen, God put eternity in your heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11, think about that. God put eternity in your heart. What fills eternity? What fills eternity? How much wealth, how much power, how much fame is going to fill the eternity in your heart? It just can't be done. Worldly wealth cannot fill that void. Tom Brady said something very interesting after winning his third Super Bowl. I was corrected after the early service. For all of you who love Tom Brady, um, he's won four. But he said this after his third win. Having married a supermodel, having a household income of $76 million, he said, this can't be all there is. There has to be something more. Now, to me, pretty good-looking guy, finds himself on a Wheaties bottle, a box. <laughs> Supermodel wife, $76 million a year, living billboard to the reality of what God's word is telling you, that the world doesn't fit in the eternity of our hearts. Tom didn't know he was saying it, but he was basically quoting this, saying, man, there's an eternity in my heart or something. So there's got to be more. Wealth, possessions, and honor aren't enough. Let's talk a little bit more about money. It says it won't satisfy you. It's also very interesting is this. It says money and wealth draws a crowd. The more you have, the more people who eat it. It's basically saying when goods increase, so are those who eat it. Have you not found that to be true? Have you not gotten a killer check and thought, are you kidding me? My taxes are this. I mean, how many people want a piece of this thing? And then when you start having a little bit of money, you have friends that you didn't know you had. You have family show up with issues you didn't know they had. You have pastors who show up and ask for things. Hanger-ons. I have a very uh, good friend. was one of the youngest CEOs of a very successful ad agency in New York City and came down to Florida and has done real well in the business world and uh, a dear friend. And he says, you know, Jeff, what is it up with living in Central Florida. Everybody I know is connected to a nonprofit that needs money. <laughs> I'm like, I get it. It's like, hey, man, you know, I'm involved with this. I'm involved with that. And so if you have money, people are going to show up and say, here you go. Can you give me a little bit of your money? It doesn't satisfy. You got hanger eyes. Ready for this? Did you hear what it says about it? You can't sleep. The more money you have, if money is your God, if you're pursuing that, you're wondering, do I have enough? It says the wealthy one doesn't sleep when the laborer who has a little bit of a lot, man, he's sleeping like a baby. Isn't that amazing? Not only says that, it says you can't take it with you. You've heard this 
crazy little adage, you never saw a U-Haul trailer going after the hearse. And if you did, those people had issues. But Luther, Martin Luther said it this way. He said, all of our worldly riches will be forsaken in death. So I choose to forsake them in life. But he focuses in on a few things we got to focus in on. He calls something a grievous evil. Listen, a grievous evil is hoarding money and wealth for yourself. It says in, in, in 5.13 that the owner of the wealth kept it to his own hurt. That, that there was something wrong with his soul there was something damaging to his being because he was looking to money and wealth to provide an identity and insecurity that only God could provide. And the more he hung on to it, the more something broke deep inside of him. Jesus himself says it this way in Luke chapter 12. He talks about a rich fool. He talks about a guy who, who was being so blessed that here's his decision. He says, I'm going to decide to myself. I'm just going to figure this out by myself. I think what I'll do because I'm getting so blessed, I think I'm going to knock down my barns. They're not big enough. I think I'll bring bigger stuff. I'm going to rent more stuff. I'm going to get more stuff. I'm just going to have all the stuff I can have. And then I'll tell myself, you know what? You got enough. Sit back, man. Pop the cork of a good bottle of wine. Enjoy life. And Jesus looks at him and says, Fool. Fool. You, you gain the whole world and lose your soul. You lost. And listen, here's the bottom line. God hasn't given you one penny, one dime for that to be your identity, for that to be your security. God gives us our daily bread and the rest of it, he wants us to use in a way that advances Christ's kingdom. It says if you have money, you're going to have a bad deal. It's going to take it all away. And let me tell you something. Every single thing that you own and you have is owned by God. You're a steward of it. And what you want to use is use everything for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. And it says this about money. Listen, just as the world is powerless to change. This is so interesting, this word power. It says that God himself gives the power to enjoy money and wealth. Without Christ, we're powerless we're powerless to enjoy the things of life without Jesus. Why? Because we're asking our wealth and our money and our honor to do something that only he wants to do. To be your identity. To be your security. Let's make this practical for a minute. Your spending habits. Are you buying things for an identity? I mean, the car you drive, the house you live in, the shoes you got. I mean, what, what's your identity? I mean, are you spending your stuff trying to find your identity? Well, let's, let's ask another question. How about your, 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 are you trying to save for your security? I mean, when's enough enough? I mean, when do you have a big enough 401k? When's enough in the bank? When, when's enough enough? And scripture's smart enough to say, be wise. Be wise for a, a rainy day. But if, if money is your security... That's what you're always thinking about. And it'll never be enough. It's really going to come down to your heart. And, it, and it's so beautiful. It says that God who gave, he, he owns it all. He owns it all. God who gives us wealth and possessions and honor. But without the power to enjoy them. Let's look at the last point. In verses 15 through 20 in chapter 5, it's amazing. It's the empowered gift of joy in the Son, Jesus. 
the empowered gift of joy. God is the one who gives us our wealth and honor. But you ready for this? He also, only God is the one who gives us the power to enjoy them. How do we do that? When we realize that everything we have is by God's grace, is a gift to us. Everything is a gift. It comes from his hand. And when we see him as our identity, we see him as our security, when we see him as our joy, when we see him as a giver of everything that we have, and we can bend our knee and say, thank you, God, for my daily bread. Thank you for all that you have given me. Then we have the power to enjoy the gifts he has given us. It's incredible. He even says that in Christ Jesus, our labor won't be in toil. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, what we do matters. It's not in vain. Incredible. When God is ultimate in your life and your stuff isn't, we have the power to enjoy them. You hear that? When God is ultimate in your life, when he is your joy and your stuff isn't, you have the power to enjoy them. This passage says this, when our hearts are are occupied with the joy of Jesus, when they're occupied, when they're preoccupied, we find joy in all things. It's incredible. I mean, my gardenia bush, it's, it's on fire. It's just, it's beautiful. My six bird feeders that I have in the back, I'm that guy. It's beautiful. I mean, it was Katie this week who said, Jeff, you got to step outside here. And you you got to look at the crescent moon. You got to look at that star. You got to look at the, it's beautiful. I mean, the gift of the embrace of my spouse, the gift of the laughter of my children, the gift of being your pastor, the gift of living in Central Florida, the, the, the gift of going to the beach, the, the gift of, 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 of good bottle, a glass of wine, the gift, gift of food, the, the gift of laughter, the gift of entertainment and, and the joy of good competition. I mean, they're gifts that we are called to enjoy when we love the giver of the gifts most. What a joy is ours when our hearts are occupied with the king. Our hearts are on fire for his kingdom. That's when joy is ours. Joy in the sun. Not ever looking for joy under the sun. Where's your joy? Is your joy in Christ? Is your joy in what Christ has done for you? Do you know what he's done for us? I mean, he he lived for us. He died for us. He became our sin so we can become his righteousness. I mean, joy, joy that the Father has taken us from out of darkness into his light, from being children of wrath to being co-heirs with Christ. That's joy of what God has done. Joy of the fact that we get to walk with him on a daily basis and he loves us. Joy knowing what God's doing now. He's, he's providing you your daily bread. If you acknowledge it or not, God is the one who provides for you your daily bread. And sometimes we think so far down the road, we miss the joy of the simple giving that he's given to us. But there's even more, more than what he's just done, more than what he's doing. It's the joy of what he's calling us to. There's a preacher in Texas that wants to tell you that your best life is now. He's, he's not right. This isn't the best stuff. Do you know your best days in front of you? Young, old, in between? The best is yet to come. We're going to see Jesus. And and when we see him, we're going to be like him. 
And when he brings the kingdom in his fullness, ready for this, there's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more sadness. There's going to be no more divorce. There's going to be no more bankruptcy. There's going to be no more wars. There's going to be no more rumors of wars. There's going to be no more divorce. There's going to be no more loss. There's going to be no more brokenness. The good stuff's coming. The kingdom is here. When Jesus came, he says, I've come announcing good news. The kingdom has come, but it's not fully here yet. But we have the joy of knowing that we have the privilege of living in that kingdom even now. What is your heart preoccupied with? What is it pre- I mean, you should probably figure that out pretty easily. I mean, what do you long for? What do you think about? Let me ask you this. What are you trying to fill the eternity in your heart with? Is it anything other than Jesus? And let me tell you, young people, you, only Jesus. Old folk, only Jesus. What are you trying to fill the eternity in your heart with? Remember, the world is powerless to fix what is broken out there and what is broken in here. Only Jesus can. The world is powerless to fill everything that's empty out there and everything that's empty in here. Only Jesus can. And that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus who says, I've come, you ready for this? To make all things new. A new system. I've come not just to make them new, I've come to make them, you ready for this? Beautiful. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he says, I'm going to make everything beautiful in its time. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ can make you beautiful. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can fix you. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ can fill you and me. And his will is this. Love us, fix us, make us beautiful so the world will see him and long for the kingdom to come to. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this, this very honest look at our lives. That we, the broken world in which we live in cannot be fixed. There's not a power in this world that can fix what's happening in Ferguson and what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening in my family room. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can make straight that which is crooked. We thank you for it. Only you, Jesus, can fill the eternity in our hearts. Only you can bring us the beauty we long for. Only you can give us life and life abundantly and forgive us for the countless things we've tried to pursue to find life and meaning. The countless things that we've drunk from and to try to find joy. And when you're all along saying, let me give you myself. Thank you for the ultimate gift the gift of Jesus that empowers us to enjoy all things. And God, we, we know that it's only through the gospel that we're made beautiful. It's only that the kingdom coming, the kingdom of God in its fullness that makes this world beautiful. And because of that reality, your people right now are going to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. Because in that prayer, This sermon is so summarized. And we see the beauty of Christ and the grace of our Father. So pray with me. The words are on the screen. Praying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.